And we welcome you to the Friday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. It is really nice that uh, for all the morning shows that we're doing right now that in one way or another address the COVID-19 crisis, it is terrific when there is something else to talk about, and uh, in particular when there is good news to talk about, and that is certainly the case today. Uh, Not long ago, I received uh, an email from Brandon Rooks, uh, who uh, handles uh, public relations at Carthage College, sharing some very, very good news indeed, that nearly $100,000 worth of awards uh, had been granted to Carthage students and faculty from the NASA Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium. They uh, fund a a wide array of of STEM-related programs across the state, and Carthage has been uh, way at the top in terms of Uh, the number of awards that uh, they have been granted over the last few years. And so we're going to be talking about this today, first of all, with Dr. Kevin Crosby, who is Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Carthage and Director of the Wisconsin uh, Space Grant Consortium. Uh, He's been a part of the Carthage faculty since 1998. He was actually largely absent from the scene uh, last year, the 2018-2019 school year, Uh, on leave in order to be a senior scientist at the NASA Kennedy Space Center and Johnson Space Center. Uh, He is back and busy, and uh, we'll be talking with him today and with three of his students. Um, uh, Celestine Ananda, who is a senior physics major and mathematics and computer science minor, and then Taylor Peterson and uh, Cassandra Basson, who are both junior physics majors and mathematics minors. And uh, I appreciate all of them joining me today via Zoom, Uh, to talk about what they have been studying at Carthage and about the work that they have done to secure some of these exciting grants and awards. Professor Crosby and Celestine Ananda, Taylor Peterson, Cassandra Passong, we welcome all of you to the morning show today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to have all of you here. Thank you so much. Uh, Professor Crosby, actually, before we dig into the specific story of these awards and so on, uh, I wonder if you could just say a word about this transition uh, that you and all of us on the faculty, and not just at Carthage, but in nearly every uh, other school of higher learning, uh, the transition we have had to made, make to online teaching. What has that been like for you, specifically in the area of physics and astronomy? What kind of particular challenges has it posed to you and and to your students? Oh, sure. Well, it's uh, definitely been a learning experience. It's been seat of the pants for me, um, because I, I've got so many other projects happening at the moment, including many that require physical presence of students. So not having uh, students with me to to do this work has has been really challenging. But from from the teaching side, I think I'm I'm lucky in the sense that many of my colleagues have lab laboratories that uh, they need to reinvent on the fly. And we had as many of our colleagues across the country had basically one week to move from a residential in-person learning type of environment to this very constrained everything through the screen Zoom Zoom meeting um, delivery of our course materials. So um, my transition there has not been as difficult as many of my experimental colleagues who have lab sections to teach. I've often traveled, so uh, many of my courses have had components that have made use of pre-recorded lectures and so on. So for me, it wasn't a dramatic transition. It's more the loss of community and and the work that we do in the lab that has has really hurt. So so your own teaching does not include, at least at the moment, a lot of specific lab work 
is so you're saying that in some ways you have not been impacted by some of the most vexing challenges that maybe some of your colleagues have exactly that's right yeah i have two courses and neither of which have real um uh laboratory components to them so i've i've kind of gotten away with uh, you know a little bit a little bit of luck there relative to my colleagues and at the risk of asking you to speak for them i would just be curious if you can enlighten us a little bit on how professors with courses that involve labs are are contending with this i mean how does one give what at least might somewhat resemble a lab experience in this online environment i i really think the students would probably be better uh able to answer that question i know that some of my colleagues are sending uh, materials to student homes or asking them to um, use materials around the house to sort of you know basically come up with a substitute experience for what what they would have done in lab i mean it varies by discipline quite a bit i i, I can't imagine how the chemists are handling it really other than a lot of us are relying on computer simulations and uh, those types of activities that are sort of a pale substitute for getting your hands dirty right uh let's turn it to the uh, our, our three students uh cassandra taylor and uh celestine uh, is there anything you want to share with us about what it has been like to be on the receiving end of this kind of uh, online teaching? What has this experience been like for you? Um, it's been a little difficult, but for as far as labs go, um, we can't actually be there to do the labs ourselves. So we're getting, um, for example, for our physics lab, we're getting data from past years and just a description of what we would be doing which is sometimes much harder to follow especially if we have to do a lab report on it so it's it's been difficult but it's nothing that we can't handle very good any of your colleagues want to uh, chime in with some thoughts on what it's been like to learn under this under these circumstances just in general Um, it, it's a lot harder to stay motivated. It, it doesn't quite feel real. Um, and especially as a graduating senior and someone who has one foot out the door already, it's really difficult to keep that other foot in the door, um, especially when you're not at school. Um, and then also as a graduating senior, it's a shame that we won't have graduation and we don't really get to say goodbye to the people we've been growing up with. Um, but everybody's sacrificing right now. So. Well said. Well said. So, uh, Kevin Crosby, let's turn back to you for a moment to hear about your work, not only as a professor of physics and astronomy at Carthage, but as director of the Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium, uh, because they, of course, have a very direct hand in some of these exciting awards that have been uh, granted to uh, Carthage students, including uh, the three that join us today. Tell us, first of all, what the Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium is and your responsibilities as its director. Sure. So we are one of 52 state-based consortia across the country, including uh, Puerto Rico and D.C. And essentially, we serve as the ambassador uh, for NASA at the state level. Um, and specifically, we provide um, funding for undergraduate and graduate students, postdoctoral funding, as well as uh, faculty grants. So it's a, it's a broad spectrum of, of uh, funding that essentially seeks to lift up the aerospace industry and the STEM fields that support the aerospace industry uh, within within each state. We also have a, a very strong outreach and, and informal education 
aspect to the to the funding portfolio that provides planetarium shows and and school field trips and so on um, at, yeah, at the K through 12 level but but the the meat of the sandwich is really the undergraduate experience and so we try to focus most of our most of our efforts on team projects and, and uh, individual student awards that that uh, align with NASA's mission very good and so such organizations exist in all 50 states Correct, all 50 states, uh, as well as D.C. and Puerto Rico. Very good. And yeah, each, each uh, consortium has a lead institution that, that um, manages the, the award for that state. And that's Carthage. Correct. Very good. Uh, so the news release uh, spoke of this uh, impressive array of awards totaling nearly $100,000 uh, granted to students and and faculty alike from from the, from the consortium, uh, is this a a an impressive amount? I mean, on on, on at, a, at a glance, it appears to be. I mean, and particularly for a school the size of Carthage, does this amount to something pretty significant? Sure, I'm, I, I should say at the outset that it's a it's not all funding from the consortium. Uh, the majority of it is, but I also have other uh, uh, programs through NASA that supports student activities. So um, many of the things that you're hearing about today with, from the students are supported um, by those grants as well. But the consortium itself, um, the, we have about 14 different programs that fund the types of awards I was describing. And all of these uh, student submissions are reviewed by a panel of faculty and industry members from across the state. Um, I really have no particular input on, on, on the constitution of the panels or the decisions they make. And so it is, uh, it, it's quite gratifying to see that Carthage comes out uh, doing so well um, each year. I mean, this is not an unusual year for us with, with close to $100,000 in, in um, outside awards made, made to students primarily to support their, their tuition costs and to allow them to do work over the summer. Fantastic. So the fact that Carthage is the lead institution uh, that kind of helps facilitate this in no way puts them in a privileged position. So these grants and awards are earned the hard way. Certainly, yeah. I think that we have somewhat of an advantage in that we are more visible on campus. The consortium um, is more visible on Carthage, Carthage's campus than perhaps uh, other larger institutions. But we are represented on every campus in the UW system, uh, save one and many, most of the, of the private four-year institutions as well. So our students in, in reaping some of these benefits have been competing against you know, students from across the state. For those of you just joining us, I am speaking today on The Morning Show with first a faculty colleague from Carthage, Dr. Kevin Crosby, Professor of Physics and Astronomy and Director of the Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium, and, uh, and with three students uh, who have been among the uh, award recipients at Carthage. Uh, they are uh, uh, Celestine Ananda, Taylor Peterson, and Cassandra Bassong. I want to take a moment to get to know each of you a little bit further and find out a little bit about what, in the, in the first place, drew you to the field of physics and drew you to Carthage. I mean, if you had any particular interests or aspirations uh, aligning with that. Let's start with uh, Cassandra Bassong. Uh, tell us, first of all, where you're from, Cassandra, and tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, sort of drew you in the first place to the, to the uh, field of physics? So I'm Cassandra Bassong, you can call me Cassie. 
Um, I'm from Trieber, Wisconsin, which is in Kenosha. Um, I'm actually a transfer student to Carthage College. I originally was at Olivet Nazarene University Physics, but then they accidentally dropped my major, so I had to go elsewhere. Um, so Carthage was always my second choice, and then um, I made another visit there, and then I saw the work with the Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium, and I knew I just had to go there. So at Carthage, I got involved in my second semester, and I kind of just like fell in love with it. I've always loved space and astronomy, and I really want to be a part of future exploration. So that's what drew you to this field. I mean, specifically the matter of space. Yes. Any particular reason why? I mean, are you somebody that uh, was sparked to this by a particular teacher or a particular experience? So um, my grandparents actually live in Huntsville, Alabama, which is um, the home of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. And I've gone there every year since I was five years old. So I kind of just have always been around it and I really love it. So. Very good. Taylor Peterson, let's hear from you. You're also, uh, like Cassie, a junior physics major and a mathematics minor. Tell us a little bit about what initially drew you to this area of study and, and drew you to Carthage. Okay. Um, so I'm from Racine, Wisconsin. I went to Case High School, and I had a teacher there, um, Mr. David Venny, and I had him for Intro to IB Physics. And he just made the class extremely fun. I mean, for pendulums, he swung from the ceiling. So how can you not find that fun? It was just little things like that that he did every day in class, and he was just so excited about it. And it just really, really made it interesting. So um, in my senior year, I took IB physics, and I just fell in love with it. And um, I did a couple visits to a couple different colleges, and when I went to visit Carthage, I saw one slide in their presentation on the Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium on how they do the um, zero-G flights with their, with their payloads that they've worked so hard on. And it just got me so interested. And as soon as I saw that, I knew it was the school. And I wanted to do astronomy. But once I got a hold of these projects, I realized that aerospace engineering was was where I was going to go. Very good. Well, you're in a great place for that, for sure. Uh, finally, our, our, uh, our senior, uh, senior physics major, uh, Celestina Nanda, tell us how you first got interested in this uh, whole field and what drew you to Carthage to study it further. Sure. So um, I think that it's common for everyone who falls in love with something a little weird like physics or computer science or math. Um, it's because of an excellent high school teacher. It's really, it always comes down to that. Um, and my fantastic high school teacher was Mr. Joseph Connolly at the New London High School. Um, I just fell in love with physics there. And I grew up in northern Wisconsin where there isn't much of anything to do at night. Uh, there's a tiny movie theater, but that's about it. So I grew up on a farm, so it was always fun to go outside and look at the stars um, and think about what that meant for our future. And so those two things together, physics really made a lot of sense. And then also doing space sciences research uh, to incorporate my love for uh, the universe we live in, for lack of better words. So I got a flyer in the mail for Carthage on the NASA Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium, and I went online and started looking at the research they were doing and saw that in my very first week as a freshman, I could get started on these projects that you usually couldn't touch unless you were a graduating senior or a graduate student. Um, and the thought of being able to use what I was learning in those physics classes right away uh, was really 
really enticing. And I, d I actually didn't apply to any other schools besides Carthage because I knew that I wanted to be involved with the WSGC and with the funding that was available in the projects. And I was not disappointed. Um, it's been an amazing experience. Excellent. Uh, Professor Crosby, maybe you could clarify just one, one thing before we go further. Kind of the whole matter of physics and astronomy, and you are a professor of both at Carthage, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, explain how those two fields are related and, and maybe even very specifically connected at a place like Carthage. Well, uh, physics is the, the origin of astronomy, right? I mean, everything that we do in astronomy has a, a basis in physical law. So the approaches, the principles, the, the methods that an astronomer uses in their daily basis are, are indistinguishable from what a physicist does and, and learns. So the culture is the same, the tools are the same, the domain of implementation or application is different, right? It's the, it's the sky instead of the rest of the universe, basically, but, you know, it's all made of hydrogen, so it's all the same stuff. So at, when, when somebody goes to Carthage and has this interest, can they choose to major in physics or major in astronomy? I mean, can you be a, an astronomy major at Carthage? No, you can get a single major at this point from the Department of Physics and Astronomy, but you can have a concentration in astrophysics if, if you desire. And a lot, of, a lot of our students do come in with that leaning and that interest, and they'll pick up that concentration and then go on to grad school in, in astrophysics or astronomy. Um, what, what my students tend to do is they come in with various interests and then get hooked on the, on the um, idea of actually building stuff, building technologies. So what, what I do is, is much more low level than, than astronomy and astrophysics. We just, you know, we build the instruments and, and actually um, run the experiments that might provide data to astronomers and astrophysicists, but that's not really the purpose of, of my program. My, my space sciences program is really a, um, technology demonstration programs. So it's kind of, I, I like to call it blue collar physics. We, we do the hard work of, of actually building all the stuff. Right. Uh, this is probably as good a time as any to, uh, to talk about the exciting project that you have had a, a very direct hand in for a, a decade or so, and which we've talked about before on the morning show. Is it called the MPG project? That's right. Yeah. And, Explain to our listeners, uh, especially for those who maybe didn't hear uh, those previous interviews, um, what this project really entails and how it folds into what we're talking about today. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can tell you by reminding you of a story that if you're my age or older, you, you certainly remember, which is Neil Armstrong landing on the surface of the moon during, during the Apollo 11 mission. And there were moments of, of just complete terror because... Aside from everything else going wrong at, at that moment with computers failing and, and alarms flashing, one of the critical uh, events on the approach to the surface of the moon was the low fuel alert. And this was a, an alarm that went off and everybody heard it and certainly Houston heard it. And it, tell, it told Neil Armstrong that he had less than 30 seconds to make it safely down to the surface of the moon. And he's you know, sort of sliding across this very rough boulder patch that went on for hundreds of yards and wasn't sure that he had enough time and, and fuel to, to make it to the other side to set the, set the lander down. Um, that, that low fuel alert turned out to be a, a function of faulty gauging or 
uncertain fuel gauging. And that problem of understanding how much is in the tank in low gravity has, has persisted since 1969. And so we still don't have a real good way of measuring how much fuel is in the tank for spacecraft. And that's what um, our MPG project seeks to address. So MPG is an acronym. You can't have a NASA program without a good acronym. So MPG stands for Modal Propellant Gauging. And modal analysis is a technique in engineering that's, that's used to you know, essentially listen to the vibrations of things. And, and those vibrations will tell you about the structure and the, and the, the health of those materials or, or structures. We use modal propellant gauging to address the Neil Armstrong problem. And so this, this has been a project uh, going on for years and by no means uh, is, it, is it complete yet. But so you are working on one potential solution to this question of how one gauges fuel or fuel levels uh, in, in, in this yeah. kind of environment. Exactly. A good, good science project will last a career. <laughs> you don't you want to finish too soon. So yeah, this one has been, um, it has been one of many that, that our space sciences team has been working on for the last uh, 15 years. This one itself has been going on since about 2011. And I should credit my collaborator at NASA uh, Kennedy Space Center, Rudy Werlink, who originally conceived of this idea. So this was really his, uh, his thought experiment. He worked in a field called um, structural health monitoring, which is uses modal analysis, listening to materials and, and structures to understand their health. And he applied that to uh, launch pad facilities and shuttle space shuttle systems at the time in, in the 80s and thought this might be a good way to, um, to understand how much fuel was in the tank in zero G, which is a problem that nobody had solved. So we've been working on that ever since. So it sounds like in this latest round of grants and awards that once again, this project has received a actually what from the sounds of it is is a quite a prestigious award yeah and this one is really exciting to me um, because i had very little to do with it <laughs> this is the this is the lemelson mit student award and this is a prize given by by the lemelson foundation at massachusetts institute of technology and for years it's been given to faculty and and other sort of senior researchers uh, um, to give you an example of some of the folks who have received in the past, William Hewlett and David Packard, of course, of Hewlett Packard, wow. received the, the first award in 1995. There's been a parade of Nobel scientists who've, who've received it since then. In, in 2014, the Lemelson Foundation opened the, the uh, doors to undergraduate student teams. And so every year they've awarded uh, Lemelson, MIT, student prizes in in several different categories. I believe it's four different categories. And these awards have historically gone to top 10 schools, usually Ivy Leagues, mostly MIT, Stanford, Columbia, Duke. Um, those were the schools that I've noticed most recently. And so we uh, thought we might apply this year. And I said, well, yeah, you guys should give it a try. Find a find an application domain that works for MPG and and give it a go. And, and um, I stepped away at that point and they did the rest. So you might want to talk to them about it. Wow. And so what students are we talking about uh, who are on this team then? So the students on the team are the three that you have with you here, Cassie Bosong, Celestine Ananda, Taylor Peterson, and Nick Bartell. 
and Bennett Bartell are two other members of, of that team, this, this uh, prize-winning team. Very good. Well, this is uh, an opportunity for us to sort of learn more about the kind of ongoing nature of this project and then the roles that, uh, that you played. So why don't you take it away? How about if we turn to our senior uh, uh, to begin, uh, Celestine Ananda? Maybe you can give us kind of an overview in terms of kind of the ongoing work of this project and in a sense where you and your colleagues uh, took it from. I mean, uh, where, where had the baton been carried uh, until you came along? Sure. So before we came along, um, the MPG technique was being developed. Um, a lot of the algorithms were there for the most part. Um, a lot of the concepts were there. There was a parabolic flight rig. So there was a demonstration of this technology in zero G on a, um, on a, a jet. So the jet uh, induces zero gravity. It's commonly known as the vomit comet and you get about 30 second bursts of zero G because the plane's literally falling out of the sky. Um, and the technology had been demonstrated in that regard quite a few times um, and little tweaks made to it to make it better and better. But where we picked up the baton, so I came in and then Ty and Cassie came in the next year, um, was working on a demonstration of this technology for a longer period of zero G. So we worked on making a smaller version of the same, <laughs> a, a smaller version of the same um, payload that went on a Blue Origin New Shepard um, rocket to suborbital space and we were able to capture three minutes of zero gravity data and we did that twice. So that's kind of been the majority of our contribution to the ongoing MPG technology applied to spacecraft. Um, but where we're taking it uh, and where we took it for the MIT Lemelson prize competition is applying this to uh, planes. So um, there are actually two plane crashes in the U.S. every week as a result of inaccurate fuel gauges. Um, and I can get you the numbers from the FAA and ABC News on that because it's kind of a, it's a jarring statistic. Um, and those two plane crashes in the U.S. every week are a result of inaccurate fuel gauging. So the, we realized that we could take this technology that we were using for spacecraft and apply it to um, the aircraft sector and that there is a huge market potential there as well. Um, the market potential, so the aircraft fuel systems market size is projected to grow to $7 billion by 2024. Um, and we're thinking that after our technology is capitalized and production's at full scale, we could capture at least 1% to that market, which is about $70 million in annual revenue. Um, so we saw that as a huge opportunity to solve a problem, save lives, um, and start a business as well. So that's where we've been taking it with this MIT Lumbleson competition. Wow, that's quite exciting. So Taylor and uh, Cassie, maybe you can uh, fill in some gaps in terms of the way in which this team has been put together and the way in which you have, in a sense, shared responsibility. I mean, have you all been kind of going at this from the same sort of perspectives or have each of you sort of taken the lead in particular facets of this project? Um, so we all kind of do everything in, in the team, although there are technically, you know, delegated sections and some people are more experts in another than other team members, but we all try to help each other out and, you know, just get to our end goal as 
safely as we can and um, just make sure everything works properly, especially with the um, the Blue Origin launches and um, with the the Lemelson submissions, we all kind of worked on everything and there was splitting it up, but we all do almost everything. <laughs> so you're all jack, jacks of all trade uh, when, when, it, when it comes to this. So... Yeah. So, Cassie, for instance, where is the project right now? I mean, have you just received this grant, and so is this work that uh, uh, Celestine described, is that about to begin, or is it uh, enabling you to continue work that has already begun? So this project, it was already, um, it's already been launched in space twice in December and January of 2019. And then we took this project, we actually found out over the summer, so this has been kind of going on for a year now. And then we just figured out that we won. So right now, um, I'm not sure what the plans are for the future. Um, Dr. Cosby told me that we might have another parabolic flight with the payload, but we aren't sure yet. Very good. So maybe you could help us understand, uh, I don't know who, sh who should begin here, but uh, sort of the, the process by which this becomes perfected. I mean, what, is, what does that process look like? by which you advance this technology to a point where it can actually be utilized. I, I probably can address that a little bit um, and then they can correct me <laughs> or provide sort of reality checks on it. But for all of the programs that we operate at Carthage under the umbrella of the space sciences and all of them have external customers, primarily NASA center uh, scientists and engineers, who are interested in the technology. Um, so to make sure that we're all playing the same tune, we implement something called um, project management uh, principles in, in our team. So everybody does have a role. And even uh, as Taylor mentioned, in terms of the Lemelson MIT application, everybody contributed in, in various overlapping ways. The, the goal with, with these projects is to assign student leads to each so-called subsystems. So when you have a large technology development effort or an experiment of any kind, it has a lot of really small, small but complicated pieces and you need ownership at each level. So we, we break our projects up into subsystems, assign team leads for those subsystems, develop teams for those subsystems, and then those, those uh, subsystem team leads report to the project manager, who in many cases is me, or uh, a student who, who serves in that role. So there's a there's a method to the madness here that um, is is really necessary because as you can imagine, if you're putting stuff in space, there's a lot of paperwork, and there's a lot of um, people on the other end who are checking your work and making sure that you're doing things safely and on budget and on schedule. Hmm. What has this COVID nineteen situation done to the process? I mean, I suspect it has, uh, if not interrupted it, it at least altered it to some extent, but maybe not as much as we might immediately uh, 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 assume. What, what is this work like right now, given these current circumstances? Yeah, it's tough because we are in the phase where we should be building hardware. So we should be building the next, um, we've got a, a fairly large grant to, uh, to build another space technology payload that's going to fly in space uh, in December. 
So if that schedule doesn't slip, we're still on the hook for that. And, and the plan was that we would be building all throughout the spring. So we can't do that. So we've met our obligations in, in other ways. I have another student who's not on this team who's been actually building where in his, in his home. And he's, um, we've delivered two prototype tanks to the Johnson Space Center for our propellant uh, gauging experiment. And those were all built, uh, designed and built during the COVID shutdown. So these are things that happen in garages and basements and we just, you know, we find a way. Hmm. Um, the, the other students are doing as much paperwork and design work as, as they can because that, that can be done during shutdown. Right. Uh, Celestine, you're a senior. Uh, so has that ch shaped kind of the role that you have played in this work thus far? And is, are you in a sense you know, as a position to kind of help hand this off to those that are following after you. Yeah, so I was trained by wonderful people who are older than I was um, and I've graduated now. And it's kind of, we, we constantly pass the baton. So part of us doing, everybody does everything is because our roles are constantly blending and changing as we're preparing um, students younger than we are to keep the projects going. Um, it's, it'd be really difficult to cold start if all of us graduate at the same time and you start with a completely fresh new team. It'd be almost, it'd be very, very difficult to keep going at the rate that we do. So yeah, it's, we all train each other. We bring new people on, train them, um, and get them up to speed. And it's uh, a very, we have a, a good system for baton passing. And I'm uh, lucky per se that I've passed the baton. Um, so I don't really have to deal with the quarantine affecting me too much. Um, but I'm going on to a PhD program in the fall, so I'm really fingers crossed that this is over by then or that'll really uh, throw a hammer into my plans. Right. And, and where would that be? Um, in Colorado at CU Boulder. I'm going into a PhD program for aerospace engineering sciences. Terrific. Terrific. Uh, Cassie and Taylor, maybe you could characterize for us, has the progress uh, that's been made thus far uh, on this project been largely uninterrupted, a smooth progression uh, in which th there's great certainty that this is going to ultimately be successful, or are we still at a stage where that is still, in a sense, uh, in some doubt? I mean, are you still in the business of answering the question of whether or not uh, this, uh, this uh, propellant gauging system can, in fact, work as you uh, envision? So there's already been some talk about um, MPG being used for the Artemis missions, um, you know, NASA going back to the moon on the Orion spacecraft, and this new iteration is proving that it can be used on the um, lunar orbiting station called Gateway around the moon. And over the summer, I'll be uh, working on um, trying to get it on the International Space Station. So there's a lot of interest in it right now. So, so Cassie, as as far as as far as you're concerned, the, the there isn't a lot of questions surrounding this this kind of technology, uh, and if not, then what what remains to be done? So with this new iteration right now, since not all of us have access to campus labs, we um, we kind of split up the work doing paperwork and. Um, the student that Dr. Crosby was talking about has been building stuff in his house. And so uh, Taylor and I have been doing a lot of the paperwork and kind of organizing who's going to be doing what for the next few weeks or so. Very good. Uh, Professor Crosby, 
how does this work relate to the work of NASA's own scientists? Uh, I mean, do they just allow this to go on completely unfettered, in a sense disconnected from their own efforts, or does this work ultimately fold into their own efforts uh, to come up with some kind of worthwhile technology for this uh, important issue? Uh, it's very much folded in. I mean, MPG is funded both through my own grants to NASA, which support the flight experiments that we do. And it's also supported internally at Kennedy Space Center and Johnson Space Center. So Ty or Taylor alluded earlier to the fact that she will be spending the summer as a NASA intern working on a project um, related to MPG. In fact, it is MPG, but it's it's a uh, internally NASA internal funded project to get this experiment on the International Space Station. So we have funding to do that. And um, we've got a design team of 10 engineers from across the agency who are supporting MPG right now. And um, Ty will be part of that team coming up in, in the summer, helping us design hardware that will go uh, on a SpaceX mission to the International Space Station and spend 30 to 60 days on board somewhere uh, around late uh, 2022 and then return back to Earth with um, more data that will help us validate the, the use of MPG on human-rated spacecraft. Right. I know I've asked you this in previous interviews, but I don't, frankly, don't recall exactly the answer. Uh, I assume that there are other efforts underway to uh, confront this, this vexing issue in, mm -hmm. in other ways. Uh, do you know much about that, or, or, am I, or am I wrong? Is this, in a sense, uh, one, of, one of very few, or maybe even the only serious effort along these lines? Well, when we, when we started MPG in 2011, uh, there, there was one other, uh, I wouldn't call it a competitor, but another promising technology um, that still remains promising. And we, we both have spent the last decade developing our, our mostly independent and unique approaches to this problem. And they have dovetailed in ways that are, are you know, are, are complementary so it's not so much a competition because some of some some technologies are better suited to some spacecraft and some mission designs than others and you know for instance ours we advertise is is propellant agnostic which means that it works whether you're talking about um, the kinds of propellants that the space shuttle used which are basically oxygen and and hydrogen um, or what are called hypergolic propellants that explode on contact that are typically used in upper stages of rockets or landing systems on the moon. So our, our approach is propellant agnostic and then it you know, works on, on either one. Some of the others are, are dependent on a particular type of propellant or a particular portion of the mission. So it, you know, there's no, there's no one solution here. It, it takes all of them to, have a, a complete robust approach. Very good. Well, it's exciting to hear about all of the different efforts that are uh, confronting this this really uh, interesting challenge. And I suspect, although just about everybody has heard about that dramatic moment in the Apollo 11 mission when it was so scary and and everyone was so relieved when uh, we heard those words, tranquility base here, the eagle has landed, that uh, mm -hmm. 
that in fact they did have enough fuel to make that landing successfully. But I suspect there have been other instances since 1969 in which uh, this has continued to be uh, a problem for various NASA flights, and, and it's important that this be solved once and for all. Yeah, it's not just a, a, a human safety issue. It's also an economic issue if, mm. um, at the cost of about $10,000 a kilogram for um, putting anything into space, even just into low Earth orbit. Uh, propellant gauging errors cost the satellite industry uh, across the industry. It's over a billion dollars a year because they, they have to provide excess margin on their propellant tanks. And when you do that, you know, if you're uncertain about uh, when you're going to run out of fuel, you've got to decommission that satellite, get it out of the way of other satellites um, six months to a year before it, it might otherwise run out of fuel. So that's lost operating revenue that adds up to, in addition to the propellant costs, about a billion dollars a year. Wow. Well, we will be continuing to follow this with great interest. I want to finish by finding out from each of our students what uh, what their hopes are for the future. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, especially what they would hope to perf- pursue uh, professionally. Uh, 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 Cassie Bassan, uh, what are you hoping to do once you have graduated from Carthage? What, uh, what, what dreams do you have uh, professionally? So I know that I want to be in the space industry, and I have actually um, experienced a lot of different conflicts. So I went to Carthage originally thinking I was going to do astrophysics, and then since I got involved in these projects, I thought aerospace engineering. But just recently, I kind of like changed paths. So now I want to go into project management in the aerospace industry. Oh, very good. You certainly have some experience with that thanks to this project. Taylor Peterson, how about you? Well, like I said earlier, and just same as Cassie, I came in wanting to do um, astronomy or astrophysics. But when I got a hold of these projects, I really wanted to do aerospace engineering. And that's still where I'm trying to, to head towards. And I plan to either get my master's or PhD in aerospace engineering. I'm not sure yet. Um, and then for um, after uh, either of those, I'd really like to work towards the Artemis missions and hoping to land humans on the moon and Mars. Exciting. And, and this internship at the Kennedy Space Center is scheduled for this, this summer, correct? And I suppose it's a little bit up in the air thanks to COVID-19 in terms of specifically what will happen. Um, mine has been confirmed to be virtual. So I'll be working with Dr. Crosby over the summer on, at Carthage. Very good. And, uh, and uh, Celestine Ananda, we know that you are off to the University of Colorado uh, Boulder uh, for, uh, for uh, pursuing of your, your, uh, ultimately your PhD. And what do you hope uh, will follow thereafter? Sure. So um, my concentration is going to be in structures. So I'll be looking a lot at um, uh, carbon fibers, stuff like carbon fiber and developing um, understood examples of how it breaks on the uh, micromechanical level. So um, with that, I want to eventually work for probably SpaceX or Ball Aerospace or Blue Origin, one of the competing space technology commercial companies. Um, as a senior researcher, working with a lab and a group um, doing structures research. It's an exciting time to be uh, entering this field, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah it's perfect Possibilities that you don't even, even fully, fully comprehend at the moment. Very good. Uh, Celestine Ananda, Taylor Peterson, Cassandra Passang, three students at Carthage College among the award winners in this 
exciting chapter in, in, in Carthage's history and uh, leading them. Uh, Professor uh, Kevin Crosby, Professor of Physics and Astronomy and Director of the Wisconsin Space Grant Consortium. Uh, it's been great to talk with all of you. Congratulations on all of the good work that you have done and the success you've already experienced. And we wish you only the best as we all go on from here. And thank you for being part of the morning show today. It was great to talk with you. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Great to be on. Thank you. Thank you.